Warning, Seriously Strange covers topics that may frighten or disturb you. Viewer discretion is advised. Losing a loved one to abduction is its own special type of hell. However, not knowing the victim's fate and never seeing the person responsible brought to justice is a hell all of its own. This week we discuss 10 creepy unsolved kidnappings. Can you help solve any of the cases? Clark Handa was only three years old when he was abducted. In 1984 in Fairfield, California, Clark was one of nine children in the Handa family. During one late August evening, while Clark slept in his bedroom, which he shared with five other siblings, an intruder managed to force open the bedroom window and sneak inside without detection from any of the sleeping family members. Out of all the children, Clark was the one who was abducted, and a ransom letter was left on his bed, discovered by his mother the following morning. The letter demanded money be left at a drop-off point if she ever wished to see her child again. The family complied and left money at the location designated in the letter. This case was odd, as usually a ransom letter is targeted at wealthy families, which the Handa family was not. No one ever showed up to take the money, and Clark, to this day, has never been seen again. June Robles was the daughter to one of the wealthiest families in Tucson, Arizona. So it made a bit more sense when in April of 1934, June was abducted while she was leaving her school and a ransom letter was delivered to her father by a boy paid 25 cents to deliver it. The note demanded $15,000 for the return of his daughter and was signed simply as Z. Police were notified and the kidnapper, for whatever reason, reduced the ransom to $10,000. When the father attempted to deliver the money, no one showed up for it. Weeks later, the governor of Arizona received a postcard that claimed to reveal June's location. Luckily, the kidnapper wasn't lying, and she was found, and found alive. She had spent nearly three weeks chained up in a buried metal box and had been given sufficient food and water while she remained there. No one was ever caught, but a federal grand jury believed the Robles family may have been responsible themselves and staged it as a hoax. Annie Heron was far from a child at the age of 73. But that didn't mean she was safe from kidnappers. Annie's husband, Robert Heron, was a very successful businessman with an estate worth $100 to $200 million. Late July of 1988, Robert returned home to find his wife had vanished and a ransom letter had taken her place along with blood smeared in the area. The ransom letter demanded Robert pay money to franchises owned by a company he had recently taken over. Robert received another letter shortly thereafter signed by Annie, which claimed that if he didn't pay, she would be sealed in a cellar. Robert sent the money. One recipient of the money happened to be an attorney named Newton Wynn, who Robert had had a legal dispute with in the past. In 1990, Wynn was arrested and sentenced to 19 years in prison for his assumed involvement in the kidnapping. He was released in 2006, maintaining his innocence 
Annie has never been found, and her husband died shortly after her disappearance, never knowing his wife's fate. Divorces can get messy in the worst of ways. In Michigan, September of 2010, Tanya Skelton divorced her husband, John, after they had separated. The two had three boys together, nine-year-old Andrew, seven-year-old Alexander, and five-year-old Tanner. Tanya had filed for divorce without John's knowledge, but he eventually found out and was enraged. He withdrew the two oldest boys from their school and attempted to head to Florida, but eventually had a change of heart. For this, Tanya was granted full custody of all three children, but John was eventually granted visitation for Thanksgiving and picked up the boys at their home. John took off with the boys the last time their mother would see them. John was soon found in a hospital after having attempted to hang himself. When questioned about his children, he gave a number of stories which all made claim that he gave them away. He was eventually sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison. He has refused to offer a credible story, and the children are assumed dead. Gabriel Johnson was only seven months old when he vanished in 2009. Elizabeth Johnson, his mother, lived in Arizona with Gabriel and was involved in a custody battle with Gabriel's father, Logan. The two were awarded joint custody, and the following day, Elizabeth took Gabriel and went to San Antonio without informing the father. Gabriel was last seen at a motel nine days later. Gabriel's father, Logan, began to receive disturbing text messages from Elizabeth in which she claimed to have murdered Gabriel and tossed his corpse into a dumpster. Eventually, Elizabeth was found and arrested and admitted that she had lied about killing Gabriel and had instead given Gabriel to a woman named Tammy Smith, who not only existed, but had made unofficial arrangements with Elizabeth to adopt Gabriel. Forged paperwork and piled up lies between Elizabeth and Tammy attempted to tear Logan's parental rights from him. Tammy eventually served a 30-day jail sentence for forgery and conspiracy. Tammy has never admitted to knowing Gabriel's whereabouts and Elizabeth spent five years in prison herself and has since been released and continues to maintain that she gave Gabriel away. He has not been seen since. Douglas Mueller was 19 with a promising future ahead of him when all of a sudden it came to an abrupt halt. It was March of 1977 in Scottsdale, Arizona. Douglas was leaving his job at a gas station at around 9.30 one night. Douglas never arrived home and his family notified police with a growing concern. It wouldn't be until the next day when Douglas's parents were contacted by phone. They were told to meet at a specific payphone and follow directions. Douglas's father went to the payphone and found his son's driver's license and a ransom letter demanding $57,000 be placed at a drop-off point. Douglas's parents complied, but no one ever showed up. Over the course of the next two months, his parents were contacted three more times with more demands, and every time money was dropped, it was never retrieved. It wouldn't be until 2011 when Douglas's parents received any conclusive information. A femur bone had been found in a remote area. It was confirmed to have belonged to Douglas. No more information has become available, and Douglas's killer or killers are still at large. The first case of kidnapping for ransom in the United States. 
Charlie Ross was the unfortunate four-year-old boy to hold that title. In 1874, Charlie had been playing outside with his older brother. Two men who had visited and given out candy before approached in a horse-drawn carriage and promised candy and fireworks to Charlie and his brother. The two children, seeing no reason to distrust the men, went willingly with them. Charlie's older brother was eventually dropped off and the two men left with Charlie. A ransom note demanding $20,000 arrived for Charlie's father, Christian, who wasn't as wealthy as the public thought he was. He went to authorities for help and eventually followed the instructions to drop off the money, but no one showed to collect. It was months later when two men had been shot during an attempted burglary. Bill Mosher died outright, while Joe Douglas remained barely alive. In his last breaths, he admitted that he had taken Charlie. Joe claimed that Bill was the only one who knew of his location, but Bill was dead beside him. Joe died after his confession, and Charlie's older brother confirmed the two men were the ones who kidnapped Charlie. Charlie has never been found. The O'Brien boys' disappearance remains one of Newfoundland's greatest mysteries. Gary O'Brien had been separated from his wife and was stopping by to pick up his three sons, Adam, Trevor, and Mitchell, aged 14, 11, and 4, for a scheduled visit. Gary picked up his sons in his 1989 Ford Tempo and later called the boy's mother, claiming he was not going to return the boys and that he rigged his home with a bomb if anyone tried to enter. Police were notified and examined Gary's house to find that he wasn't lying. He had rigged up a bomb that consisted of two 400-pound propane tanks that could have easily leveled out part of his neighborhood had it gone off. Gary and his three sons were nowhere to be found, however. Nothing had been heard for a year until the engine of a 1989 Ford Tempo was retrieved from the ocean off the nearby Redhead Cliff. Some believed it may have belonged to Gary, who may have committed a murder-suicide, but there is no more evidence to indicate that the engine was even his at all. Gary and his three sons have not been seen since. Life seemed pretty normal for the Pitson family for a while, until May of 2011, when mother Amy Pitson decided to take their six-year-old son Timothy out of school in Illinois, claiming that there was a family emergency, which was entirely untrue. Amy brought Timothy to a local zoo and then drove to two separate water park resorts that they stayed at. Amy, two days later, called her family to tell them everything was fine. Timothy's voice could be heard in the background. Little did his family know that'd be the last time they'd hear his voice. Amy drove to Rockford and checked into a motel. The next morning, she was found dead in her room from slash wrists, self-inflicted by a box cutter. Amy left behind a note that said Timothy was given to someone who loved him and would never be able to be located. Amy's SUV was dirty, which led investigators to believe she had driven out to a very rural area. Amy was seen in surveillance footage with Timothy. In the footage, she can be seen wearing clothing that was never found. Like the clothes, Timothy also has never been found. His fate remains an absolute mystery. Dorothy Distelhurst was only five years old when she became one of the most gruesome unsolved kidnapping cases. It was September in 1934. Dorothy was leaving her school in Nashville, Tennessee and vanished. 
Police were notified and began searching for her. The media eventually began to aim a spotlight on the story, and suddenly, Dorothy's family was inundated with ransom letters. But because of the attention, it wasn't known as to whether or not the letters came from the legitimate kidnapper. One note in particular shocked the family, though. The letter claimed that if the family did not pay $175,000, Dorothy's eyes would be burned out with acid. It was almost two months before two hospital employees were digging flower beds and came across Dorothy's body. Her skull had been crushed, some of her personal belongings were near her, but perhaps worst of all, her face had been clearly burned away with acid, just like the note promised. No murderer has been found, and it's feared the case will forever remain unsolved. If you have any information regarding any of the cases in this episode, please contact the appropriate law enforcement agency right away. Many of us have childhood memories that bring us a sense of nostalgia. Or maybe you remember the fairy tales, songs, or stories read at bedtime. But some of those stories are far less innocent than we remember, or have rather heinous origins. The nursery rhyme Three Blind Mice at face value seems like an ordinary, innocent tune, but some historians draw parallels between the rhyme and events that occurred during Queen Mary I of England's rule from 1553 to 1558. An adamant Roman Catholic, she executed around 300 Protestant people, earning herself the title of Bloody Mary. It's speculated that three particular victims, Protestant loyalists who were burned at the stake, are the subjects of the popular nursery rhyme. The three men were accused of plotting to assassinate the queen, mirrored by the line of the song, They all ran after the farmer's wife. She cut off their tails with a carving knife. The queen's husband, King Philip, owned many estates, including farmland, and the queen took her revenge by cutting off their tails, burning the men at the stake. This is only one of many nursery rhymes children sing, unaware of the word's darker meaning. Following the release of the 1961 animated film, 101 Dalmatians, demand for Dalmatian puppies drastically increased by up to 30%. But Dalmatians were not all that their adopters expected them to be. Often bought as presents for children who were fans of the movie, parents neglected to research the personalities and training requirements of the breed. Dalmatians can be stubborn and even aggressive if not trained properly, and can be particularly impatient with children nipping at them. Many parents disgruntled with their new dog's feisty nature and upkeep, who had expected them to be laid back, put the dogs back up for adoption. Unfortunately, many of the dogs were likely put into shelters or abandoned, or even put to sleep as an indirect result of the movie's popularity. The doe-eyed, well-intended Pinocchio of the 1940 Disney film is innocent compared to the original doll. 
The basic story remains the same. Pinocchio, a puppet created by a man named Geppetto, wants to become a real boy. But in the original story, Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio are far from friends. After Jiminy tells Pinocchio to go home, the puppet is filled with rage at being bossed around, and he crushes Jiminy with a heavy hammer, killing him. After he tells Geppetto that it was all the cricket's fault and that he did not want to kill him, Karma catches up with Pinocchio when he later burns his feet off by resting them on a stove. Pinocchio then hears that by planting gold coins, a gold tree will grow. The spirit of Jiminy Cricket warns Pinocchio not to bury the coins, but the puppet doesn't listen. Nearby, townspeople catch the puppet in the act and accuse him of hiding gold, for which they hang him. In the story, Pinocchio survives, despite being hanged, but even so, the original version shows a far more violent underbelly to a well-known children's movie, reminding us that Disney isn't all fun and games. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. The word glee conjures feelings of happiness, or makes one think of the popular musical show that ran from 2009 to 2015, but one member of the cast was anything but cheerful. Mark Soling, who portrays the popular Noah Puckerman on the show, was arrested in 2015 for a large stash of child pornography. Over 100,000 images and videos were discovered from his laptop, USB flash drive, and hard drive. Soling has pled not guilty, and the final hearing has been repeatedly delayed, reportedly because he wants to settle the case out of court. Radar Online reported that the next court hearing will take place on May 30th, 2017. Charles Dickens, renowned author of the family classic A Christmas Carol, grew up in an environment of poverty and darkness. His entire family, with the exception of one sister, were imprisoned. Much like the children in his stories, he lived in a rat-infested house and was abused and neglected, which influenced the somber tone in his writing. What so few people know is the influence this had on his personality. Quick-tempered, Dickens often neglected and even physically abused his wife and gave his children little attention, despite the fact he had ten of them. Dickens was so unhappy in his marriage, he began dating a 19-year-old woman at the age of 45, writing a letter to his actual wife, accusing her of mental instability. The letter was later released to the public so all could see that not all of Charles Dickens' writing was based purely in fiction. Lewis Carroll, author of the children's books such as Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, had a dark and chaotic past. 
While there is still some contention regarding the truth of this case, a BBC documentary released in 2015 claimed Lewis was repressing a dark urge. The character Alice was based off of the author's neighbor's daughter, Alice Lydell. The documentary alleges that researchers found a photo of Alice's older sister completely nude in an inappropriate, suggestive pose, looking rather uncomfortable. The photo was found in a museum with an inscription reading, Property of Lewis Carroll and Lorena Lydell, taken at a time when the age of consent was just 12 years old. Vanessa Tate, the great-granddaughter of Alice Lydell, said she believed that Lewis was in love with Alice and that anyone who said he wasn't a strange man was simply wrong. Alice's adventures in Wonderland is perceived to be a children's tale, but through the eyes of its author may be something much more twisted. Italian poet Giambattista Basile wrote the original story of Sleeping Beauty, and it is a much darker tale than the Disney version many are familiar with. The very beginning foretells a prophecy that the king's daughter, Talia, will prick her finger on a splinter of flax or hemp. In place of Maleficent, an old woman spins the thread that Talia pricks her finger on. When Talia does not wake, the distraught king locks her up forever. One day, a passing hunter uncovers her and sexually violates her in her sleep. Talia gives birth to his child while still in a comatose state, only waking when the child sucks on her finger. She falls in love with the hunter who impregnated her, only to find out he's married and his wife is reasonably distraught. In revenge, the wife orders the chef to cook up Talia's child and serve it to them at supper. Thinking the baby is dead, she reveals her plot to the king, but the chef didn't follow through with the order, thankfully. The king burnt the wife alive, and a twisted happily ever after followed. The story of The Little Mermaid has been popularized by Disney through its 1989 animated adaptation. The original story by Hans Christian Andersen was not the happily ever after version that many know and love. In the original story, The Little Mermaid falls in love with a handsome prince above the water. After a storm hits and she saves his life by leaving him in the care of women at a temple, she makes a dark deal with the sea witch. For sacrificing her beautiful voice, she will gain legs that feel like walking on knives, but she will be a dancer that surpasses any other human. If the prince falls in love and marries her by dawn, she will gain a soul and can be with him, but if he doesn't, she will turn into sea foam. She agrees to the terms and seeks out the prince who wants to marry the woman who saved him. Without her voice, the mermaid cannot tell the prince it was her so he marries a woman from the temple. The Little Mermaid is offered one last chance to live. She must kill the prince with a knife from the sea witch. Even upon seeing the prince sleeping with his bride, she cannot bring herself to kill him, and she flings herself into the sea, turning into foam. One of the saddest stories here is that of Judith Barcy, a young budding actress and the voice of Ducky in the animated film The Land Before Time. Although she was born in America, her family was Hungarian. 
Her father, Joseph, had a history of mental and physical abuse, threatened to kill himself, and was arrested three times for drunk driving. Once, Judith told a friend that he threw pots and pans at her, resulting in a nosebleed. Joseph also threatened to slit Judith and her mother's throat and burn down their house. The stress from home life was so overwhelming, Judith pulled out all of her eyelashes. But things took a turn for the worst on the evening of July 15, 1988. Joseph shot Judith in the head while she was asleep, ending both her flourishing acting career and her life permanently. After killing his wife, he poured gasoline on the bodies and lit them on fire, went to the garage, and shot himself in the head. The promising future of a young budding actress, snuffed out by the man meant to protect her. The world knew him as Dr. Seuss, but the man behind the pen name, Theodore Seuss Geisel, was anything but a pure soul. Theodore's first wife, Helen Palmer, also a children's author, suffered several severe illnesses over 13 years, including cancer. Instead of being by her side, Theodore was sleeping with Helen's friend Audrey Stone Diamond. When Helen found out, she penned a suicide letter to her husband, I feel myself in a spiral going down, down, down into a black hole from which there is no escape, no brightness. I love you so much. I am too old and enmeshed in everything you do and are that I cannot conceive of life without you. My going will leave quite a rumor, but you can say I was overworked and overwrought. Your reputation with your friends and fans will not be harmed. Helen committed suicide in 1957, thinking of Theodore and his reputation, despite the pain he'd caused her. Audrey and Dr. Seuss continued their relationship and later married, until Dr. Seuss's passing in 1991. If you'd like to learn more dark and disturbing topics, be sure to follow my Facebook fan page, because you won't want to miss what's next. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way, because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated, and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care, and enjoy your next episode.